Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. Today on the PCOS Diva podcast, we're going to be talking about happiness. Just to kind of frame that, I wanted to share a a little um, vignette story, I guess. For most of my life, I thought that people were either unhappy or happy. And my family that I grew up with tended to be the unhappy ones. They blamed unhappiness on all sorts of external forces, bad luck, the economy, relationships. And I grew up with that idea that I would be happy when, you name it. I had a new job, I got married, I had kids. Happiness was always a moving target for me. And certainly when I got a PCOS diagnosis and was suffering with the myriad of symptoms, I was always going to be happy when my acne cleared up, I lost the weight, uh, I regained my fertility. And I had this aha moment when I realized that instead of living in a cloud of negativity and terminally waiting for happiness to happen, I could choose to be happy in the moment. I was no longer held hostage by my circumstances, and I no longer had to seek happiness in people or possessions. So I wanted to invite a somebody who knew more about seeking happiness than I did to talk to PCOS divas because I after working with so many women with PCOS I know that I was not the only one that sort of had this experience um so I've invited Monique Rhodes onto the PCOS podcast she's a happiness strategist who teaches students and corporations around the world how to master their lives. She spent the last 25 years studying the mind and its relationship to happiness and suffering. She has designed a program that over 70 universities and colleges use called the 10 minute mind. It, and her eight week online course, the happiness baseline has a hundred percent success rate in raising the mental wellness for every student who has completed it. And that's so important. Mental wellness is so important for women with PCOS because such a large majority of us are suffering with anxiety and depression and mood related disorders. So 
Monique, thank you so much for uh, saying yes to my invite to come on to the PCOS Diva podcast. It's really wonderful to be here, Amy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the important work that you're doing. So tell us how you get into this work of being a happiness strategist. I think we all get into particular niche things that we're working on when we're desperate to figure it out for ourselves. And for me, Amy, that was my situation. Um, You can probably tell from my accent that I grew up uh, in the South Pacific. So I grew up in New Zealand, amazing, wonderful country with so many wonderful things about it. If you've ever been there, it's extraordinary. But uh, unfortunately for me, you know, I had some real difficulties in my childhood. And I, I think that probably by the age of around about 12, I think it would be fair to say that I was suffering from depression. And uh, I struggled. Like my, my mental health was all over the place. I, I would sometimes feel like I could wake up in the morning and have no idea the roller coaster that I could potentially be going on in a day from being really happy and positive to in despair and struggling. And it, it was all very out of control. And I, I saw myself over the years sink further and further into probably really a state of anxiety, um, not feeling safe in the world and, and really quite depressed. And at the age of 19, things came to a head and I, I ended up in hospital having tried to take my own life. And I remember sitting in the hospital bed and really thinking to myself, why is it that I'm struggling so much? Why does nobody else seem to be struggling as much as me? And is it something to do with my genetics, my chemical makeup in my brain? Is there something wrong with me? And so I wanted to see whether I could figure out if there was something that could shift what was going on for me. And I'm a pretty determined person. So I, I took this on as, as my mission to see if I could turn my life around. And I did it for no other purpose but for my own. I wanted to see if I could shift it because it was just becoming so, so difficult to be alive. And I traveled all over the world um, and for 13 years lived out of one bag as I, as I looked at different ways of living, different cultures, different philosophies, and really faced myself. And fortunately for me, through all the work that I put in, I did find the answers that turned my life around to a place that I didn't even know was possible. And so here I am. This is what I've ended up kind of accidentally teaching. Wow, what a journey. I mean, to be so young and to um, embark on the, that it, really an amazing adventure <laughs> in a way to yes. kind of find that, that um, grail, I guess, of happiness. So um, what, what were some of your aha moments along the way? Well, I loved what you read at the beginning, Amy, this idea of what I like to call as soon as happiness, you know, as soon as I feel better, as soon as I meet the woman or man of my dreams, as soon as I get the raise, as soon as I have a baby, whatever it is, I'll be happy. And I think that's one of the 
mindsets that we live in is that we're in this, you know, it's almost a little bit like the hamster on the wheel. You know, let, let's say for argument's sake, you, you think to yourself, oh, I'm really going for this job. And when I've got this job, I'm going to be happy. And you work really hard. You get the job and you feel great. You're so excited. But very quickly, all the challenges of that new job start to rise. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the happiness is gone. And all of a sudden you're thinking about the next thing. Oh, well, now that I've got this job, I'll buy a house and this will help me to feel good. So it's this idea, Amy, very much is what you were talking about of this idea of how do we find a happiness that we can sustain rather than, you know, these peaks and troughs and the peaks are great. Like there's nothing wrong with the peaks and we all have things that bring us joy and get us excited and it, and it's great. But when we become attached to those things, believing that they will bring us sustained happiness is where we get ourselves in trouble because we soon realize that that happiness isn't actually sustained. And we're on a constant search for the next thing to give us that really good feeling. Mm, and that's exhausting. <laughs> oh my goodness. Is it what? It is so exhausting. And we become, you know, so clever at the things that we acquire, whether they're experiences or people or possessions, we become very, very skilled at it because we desperately want to be happy. And the world teaches us, this is how you're happy. You become rich, famous, an Instagram star, powerful, beautiful, lose weight. All of these things will make you happy. And it's very confronting. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when, you, when you work with people who have all of that, you know, I work with some very, very famous celebrities who, are, who have all of it. And they're unbelievably unhappy. And so we start to see that when we look at it and see, well, if this was the answer, then those people who have, you know, all of those particular things we're told will make us happy, well, we start to see that a lot of them aren't. So that can't be the answer. Mm. So can you give us some hints as to what you sure. have found the, the answer to be? Yeah, absolutely. The biggest thing that I began to understand is that happiness is not something that is found outside of ourselves. So we're led to believe in this world that if, if we have all these things, we'll be happy. But actually, the, the biggest aha moment I had was when I began to understand that happiness is an inside job. Mm -hmm. I can have all the things in the world, but if my mind is out of control, then I will not be able to be happy. So I often think about it like this, Amy, you know, it's almost like our mind is, is like a, imagine it's a house and imagine it's a house with all the doors and the windows open. That's how we treat our mind. We let everything in, you know, all of the hyper-stimulating, um, you know, things we watch on TV, we watch on the internet, we let all sorts of opinions and people's ideas constantly in, and we never protect it. 
So we leave all the doors and windows open and we wonder why it's completely filled with a whole bunch of problematic stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important for us to understand that we spend a lot of our life and a lot of our time taking care of our environment. So we take care of our home and, you know, we keep our office clean and we, we look after our bodies and we put beautiful food in our bodies. But, you know, when was the last time we cleaned out our mind? We don't clean up out our minds. We just allow our minds to accumulate and accumulate so much information, information that we don't even need. And we don't care. We don't take the care to ever really clean the mind out. So I feel our minds are exhausted and full of information that we don't need, but also that creates a lot of stress and anxiety for us. That is a, that's a really great point, but how do we clean our minds out? (laughs) (laughs) There's one, there's one skill that I call my superpower. It was the greatest thing that I ever found. And it is the simple practice of meditation. Mm -hmm. Meditation is a complete game changer. But sometimes we start a meditation practice and we struggle to keep it going or we don't really enjoy it or perhaps we're given slightly wrong advice about what a meditation practice is. But meditation is the answer to a lot of our problems. And I'll explain to you one of the reasons why. The main reason of learning a meditation practice is to bring ourselves into the present moment, to learn how to be in the present moment. So if you think about where your mind dances off to most of the day, it's going to thoughts of the past or thoughts of the future. And it's very rarely sitting in the present moment. Mm, That's so so true. And so what happens is, is that the mind becomes incredibly exhausted. So you think about these three, these three places it dances to. Thoughts of the past are imaginary. All right. And the reason that they're imaginary is that your memories of the past go through the very particular biases and filters in your brain. So you see an event that has happened in a completely different way often from the way that I would see it. Mm -hmm. So the memory can't be relied on. It's busy filtering out the information. And so thoughts of the past are make-believe. They're just imaginary. And of course, the future's not come yet. So the thoughts of the future are equally as imaginary. The only thing that's actually real is the present moment. Mm-hmm. And so when we, what we can learn in a meditation practice, if you're learning to bring yourself back to the present moment, which is what I hope um, you would be learning in meditation, is that most of the time we're not really here. And it's a big reason why our minds are so exhausted. So if we can learn in a meditation practice to anchor ourselves into the moment, that might be through focusing on the breath or listening to music or a chant or whatever. As long as we learn from a qualified teacher, that's the most important thing. And we bring ourselves back to the present moment. Our mind wanders off. We bring it back. Our mind wanders off. We bring it back. That's it. And if we can learn to do that, for even just 10 minutes a day, then we start to see that that skill is something that starts to seep out into the rest of our life and starts to come 
and settle this out of control mind down, which is basically dancing all over the place. Mm. It seems so simple, but yet it's so hard to, (laughs) it's hard to do. Um, When do you do your meditation practice? Is it in the morning or in the evening? What, what works for you? So I first want to say one of the reasons I think that we find it hard is because we have a lot of expectation on it. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the expectations that we have on our meditation practice is I'm going to sit down and I'm not going to think anything. And when we sit down and our mind is racing around like, you know, a jet, we freak out and think, I can't do this. This is really hard. This is not fun. But actually, the practice is about exactly that. Our thoughts are as natural a part of our mind as the waves in the ocean. But what we do is we chase after them. So instead of just seeing them like the waves in the ocean that rise up and then dissolve again, maybe we're sitting doing our meditation practice and a dog barks outside. And instead of just hearing that sound, there's a dog barking. We go, there's a dog barking. Oh, is that the neighbor's dog? Is the neighbor's dog out? Hang on a second. Is he in my rubbish? You know, Mm -hmm. the mind just goes down a rabbit hole. So what we learn by bringing the mind back is that thoughts arise, they're natural, and I can just let them be. And if I just let them be, they'll dissolve. Emotions arise, they're just natural. If I just let them be, they'll dissolve. And so we then take the expectation off ourselves of having to sit there, Amy, with this thought of my mind is crazy. It is out of control. Great. Perfect. That is the perfect mind to be working with. I love it that it's out of control. That means that you're getting somewhere because the more we sit in the quiet, the more all the thoughts that we spend our life distracting ourselves from will have a little bit of breathing room. And if we allow them to breathe over time, they'll settle. So I do my practice first thing in the morning because it's when my mind is the calmest and it gives me the ability to get as calm a practice as I can. But it also doesn't matter if my mind's not calm. And then it means that I'm able then to have my practice seep out into the rest of my day. Mm -hmm. And so that's also where it's powerful. You know, if we... I really encourage people to do 30 days of, you know, the course that I teach is called the 10 minute mind is 10 minutes a day, 30 days, try it for 30 days, see how you feel at the end of 30 days, because one of the biggest motivators for anything for us is that when we see that it makes a difference and at the end of 30 days, you will see a difference in yourself. So when you describe the meditation practice seeping out into your life. Can you describe that in more detail? What, what do you mean by, um, what, what can you expect? What do you mean by seeping out? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So let's say you're in a conversation with somebody and usually in a conversation with someone, your mind is running all over the place. You might find that you're actually more present in the conversation. You might find that you're listening better. You might be writing an email and, and instead of like having your mind kind of negotiate five different things at the one time, you just focus on writing the email. You might find that when someone says something to you that you might 
have got a little bit triggered by in the past, you might find that you don't react as quickly. Mm. So those triggers that usually set us off where we don't even realize they're happening. And so that may so fast. It happens in a millisecond. A gap starts to appear. Oh, there's the stimulus. Oh, my mother said that to me again. And usually I would just go off at her, but I'm going to take a beat. I'm going to take a moment and I might still react the same way, but maybe the next time there'll be even more of a gap and I'll start to respond differently. Mm. So this is how it starts to show up in our life. And we start to either notice it in ourselves or someone else usually comments and says, what are you up to? Were you doing something different? And that's where a lot of my students will say they don't actually see the shift in themselves, but other people are seeing it. Mm. You feel more grounded. You feel more at ease. You feel more in control of yourself and your life. And the best part, Amy, is when you sit for, let's say, 10 minutes a day, you're starting to get to know yourself Mm -hmm. in a way that we don't get the opportunity anymore because anytime that we we're sitting down and there's nothing to do, we just pick up that phone and disappear out into somebody else's world. Mm -hmm. So we're quite disconnected from ourselves. So I love that. uh, And I'm going to try, you know, I have had meditation practices in the past, but I've kind of, let it go recently. Um, Mm -hmm. and I need to pick that up. So, you know, you know what I always find helpful is to create like, um, that 30 day mark, you know, I I think there's something powerful about committing to something for an extended period of time. I mean, I've tried different, um, yoga practices for an extended period of time. And that's when I, I stick with it. Cause I don't, cause I, I say to myself, I'll have to start over again at day one. <laughs> if yes. I, so, so that works for me. So I'm going to try that. Um, and also to have an accountability buddy, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. someone else who, who says, I'm going to do this with you or two or three is even better. And then, and then maybe, you know, as you go through, you go, well, today my mind was all over the place and you just laugh about it. Oh, that's so funny. Or today I thought I had it figured out. And then, and then the next day, it's like my mind is really busy again. But you just encourage each other, you know. Oh, yeah, remember we were told that's what would happen. So don't worry, just keep going. Let's get to that thirty-day mark together. So I have a, qu- a question for you. Um, I find that a lot of my, myself included, um, and a lot of women that I coach, the two of the other um, obstacles that sort of stand in the way to happiness besides living in the moment um, or not living in the moment is comparison, you know, comparing yourselves to other women, um, especially with the advent of social media, it's made that much harder to deal with. Um, And then perfectionism. I call myself a recovering perfectionist. And I think a lot of women with PCOS are kind of type A perfectionists. And that that can really get in the way of creating happiness in your life. So just curious how to deal with those two things. Yeah, I, I know that this is a big problem. And I think 
that one of the most important things is to, there's a couple of things. First of all, like there's some work that I usually do with my clients where we look at the underlying beliefs. What's going on? Where did you learn this perfectionism as a strategy? Where did you learn as a strategy that it was really important to compare yourself against other people? So that, that's one of the first things is that there's always an underlying belief there that's been fed usually in childhood that has created some kind of panic that's, that leads us as human beings to go, I need to like keep a handle on this no matter what, because somehow my life is depending on it. So that's the first area that I usually look at. But the second area is to really start a process of becoming friends with yourself, you know, to really look at what is going on with that critical voice in my head that is, you know, constantly telling me that I need to be more. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important because I have a course called how to become friends with yourself. And one of the big things in there, that's a huge aha moment for a lot of people is where I talk about how, you know, that voice in our head, I don't call it the critical voice. I call it the inner parrot because all it's doing is parroting back what we believe about ourselves. So if we can look again at the underlying beliefs and see what is it that I believe about myself and why do I believe this and does this belief serve me anymore, then we have the ability to start to get clear about why is it that I'm so harsh on myself? Because it is a coping strategy. And it might be that, you know, when you were a child, you're, you know, when you achieved well at school, you got a lot of positive reinforcement for it. And so you equate being loved with the positive reinforcement. So I call it the love contract, where it's like, I do this in return for love. And it becomes a habit. And then all consciousness of where did this start, you know, completely dissolves. And all you're left with is, I compare myself to other people and I'm a perfectionist. With the comparison side, I mean, comparing ourselves to other people is, is, it's very difficult, I understand, not to do. And it's also completely pointless because we are unique individuals, you know, completely different um, in every step that we've taken in the world. And so I often say to my clients, you know, when, when they'll be talking to me about, well, I'm worried about, you know, what will people think? It can be a great question to say, who are these people? Because often we find, Amy, that when, we, when we're afraid of what other people will think and we ask ourselves the question, who are these people? There's this big imaginary them that's out there. Mm-hmm that we, we, don't, we find it very hard to even qualify who those people are. Maybe we qualify one or two of them, but beyond that, no. And, and they're so huge in our mind and they drive so much of our, our mind. So again, it's this idea of bringing consciousness. It's fine to be a perfectionist. Look at it. Is this, does this serve me? If it doesn't, where is it coming from? How can I show up differently if I look at, my belief systems about myself differently, because that's all you're doing. You know, the, 
I believe that the world is merely a mirror of everything that we believe about ourselves. So if you feel that you have to be, you know, perfect, then underlying that is the fear of not being enough. And that's where the work needs to be done. Yeah. I, I love this quote. I, it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but <laughs> m- most people are as happy as they make their minds up to be. Like, do you think that's, a, would you say that's true in your research? <sighs> I have mixed feelings about this. I think that what that what a comment like that can do is, or a quote like that can lead us into believing I've just got to toughen my mind up, you know, Mm -hmm. I've just got to like choose to be happy and I'll be happy. And on some level, there is a truth to that, but it's only mm, a sixth of the puzzle. The rest of the puzzle is the understanding that our minds are habitual. So my mind is going to continue to do habitual things over things that are good for me. There was a, a study done in, uh, I think it was the University of Charlottesville some years ago. And they, they put these rats into a maze. And if the rats came out of the maze on the right-hand side, there was water there. And if they came out on the left-hand side, there was chocolate milk. So the rats learned very quickly to come out on the left-hand side of this maze and get that chocolate milk. Then what the researchers did was they put a little bit of poison into the chocolate milk. So the rats would then come out, drink the chocolate milk and feel really unwell. And what they expected was the rats would go back to drinking the water. And the thing that really shocked them was that despite the fact that the rats knew that the chocolate milk wasn't going to make them feel great, the habit of that good feeling, that initial good feeling, overrode the knowledge that afterwards they would feel sick and they kept going and drinking Mm -hmm. the chocolate milk. And so this is where the work needs to be done on looking at where does my mind go to habitually? Because I can say to you, hey, Amy, stop being such a perfectionist. Equally, as I could say to you, hey, Amy, just be happy. Mm-hmm. But it's not that simple because we've learned coping strategies that might give us short-term enjoyment or satisfaction that actually end up giving us long-term problems. And of course, on top of that, you know, we live in a culture and a society where we are told that a whole bunch of things are really fine that are really problematic for us. And we wonder why we're living in a world of stress, anxiety, and depression, you know, stats going through the roof around this. So we can also see that a lot of things don't work. I know that being on social media isn't the greatest thing, but still people do it. I know that watching hours of TV isn't a great thing, but still people do it. They know. So I think that we have to go, you know, a lot deeper and really look at working with the mind uh, rather than kind of overriding it with this idea that we can just choose to be happy. I don't think we can. I think, I think there's, there's work that has to be done. I tried to just choose to be happy. It didn't really mm-hmm. work for me. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it really, it really does. Um, and I think you get, because it's difficult for a lot of us that are really stuck to feel like we can choose, but I can see how a meditation practice over time could really shift the way that you think about the world. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. I think the biggest thing is I, you know, I could say to you, hey, just choose to be happy. But if I said that, what I really want to say to you is, hey, just choose to put some energy and time into working with your mind and you will become a lot happier. Mm -hmm. That's the way to choose to be happy rather than, hey, just be happy. Because I think, Amy, we live a lot in the world now where there's a lot of pressure to be kind of um, really positive mm -hmm. and and I think that that creates a burden as well, where everybody expects you to show up and be really happy and really positive about stuff. And you're not really allowed to say that you might be struggling with something. People don't want to hear it. And I see a real kind of culture around this. And I think it's really important to be positive. I think that, you know, being grateful and positive for things in your life is, I know for myself is, is part of the strategy that I use. However, the other half of the strategy is that I don't run away from my negative emotions. I deal with them. I mm -hmm. look at them. I face them. And that's another thing that meditation teaches us. It teaches us, okay, so I'm sitting for this 10 minutes. I'm doing this meditation and I'm overcome with grief or anger or frustration. And I sit with that anger, that grief, that frustration, whatever the negative emotion is. And if I can learn to look at it in its purest form as an emotion, okay, I've got this anger in me. What does it look like? Well, it's red. It's kind of sitting in my stomach area, you know, and you start to observe the emotion that is mm -hmm. so desperately wanting to breathe and you observe it without running down into the story of what it's about, then you allow the emotion, the chance to be heard, to be nurtured, to, to really to breathe. And then it begins to dissolve. And that's one of the things that nobody ever teaches us. The more energy we put into a positive emotion, the bigger it grows. And if we equally put a lot of energy into a negative emotion, it begins to dissolve. Mm, that's tweetable right there. Yeah. <laughs> so what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to think, if I look at my negative emotions, they are going to grow and I'm going to end up in all sorts mm -hmm. of trouble. Mm -hmm. But it's actually the opposite because whatever we resist persists. Mm -hmm. So if we have all these emotions in us, and we don't allow them to be allowed to express themselves inside us in whatever way that is. I don't mean externally going and being angry with people. But if we, if we don't allow ourselves to feel them, they just sit there and wait until we do. Mm. And when does that happen? Oh, that happens when we're in a conversation with our partner and our partner says something and all of a sudden we're fully triggered because all of those similar situations where we never felt the emotion all come out on him, 
right? Mm-hmm. So it's really important that not only that we allow ourselves to feel those emotions, but that we start to see through our meditation practice that when they arise, just like our thoughts, if we just let them be and let them sit there and let them breathe, they will naturally dissolve of their own accord. And I don't think anybody teaches us that. I know I've, I've had that experience over the last several years with grief. I think the, the grief of letting um, my now adult child go right. <laughs> off to college, the, the first one, he actually just graduated college and he, he moved um, halfway across the country to start his life. And um, I feel, I felt like, gosh, I should be more sad about this, but I'm really not because I dealt with those emotions when he graduated high school and moved on to college. I grieved for probably six months. I really felt those emotions and dealt with those and real rather than stuffing them down (laughs) with something else. Absolutely. Uh, Which is what we are conditioned to do as a society. Here mm -hmm. is a subscription to TV shows on mass. So you Mm -hmm. don't have to be with you. Here's Mm -hmm. a phone that every time you feel an uncomfortable emotion, you can go in and just disappear off into another world. We're we're really being conditioned to not allow ourselves to have any experience of our negative emotions at all. And it's problematic. You know, the World Health Organization said that uh, before COVID, that by 2030, the biggest uh, health problem worldwide surpassing obesity would be depression. Mm. And when we think about it, what is depression? It is the depressing of our emotions. Mm-hmm. So it's really vital that we, we as a society start to learn actually all over again, right from the start, how do I deal with my emotions? Because they're not as big and scary as we think they are. They're only big and scary when we suppress them. That's so interesting. This is not where I thought this conversation was going to (laughs) go. But you're absolutely right. You know, I I see that just in in my recent, um, you know, what has happened in my life is I graduate two two boys, one from college, one from high school, that I can be happy in those moments and happy for them. And because I've already dealt with the sadness um, and let those emotions like worked through those emotions earlier. So it's just an interesting way of how to come to that place of happiness. Yes, absolutely. Because what, what we're led to believe by society is that positive emotions are good and negative emotions are problematic and to be hidden. Mm-hmm. But it's actually completely different. It's like we can't see the light without the shadow. Mm-hmm. We all have negative emotions. Even the most enlightened person in the world has negative emotions. You know, at the same time, if they are the most enlightened person in the world, they've learned that those emotions are, you know, is I'm looking out the window right now and I'm, I'm looking at all the clouds in the sky. It's like our truest nature is like that blue sky that sits above those clouds, never touched by the clouds. And the clouds just come and go. 
Mm. But we take them so seriously, mm-hmm. you know? We take our emotional states so seriously. If For anyone who's listening, if you can think about, you know, if you think to yourself, what was I upset about a year ago, this day a year ago? Oh, you, you've got no idea. What, but if I said to you what we are upset about six months ago on this day, you would have no idea. What about a month ago? No idea. What about a week ago? No idea. In fact, probably if I said to you, can you remember at this time of the day yesterday what you were stressing about? You probably don't know. But in the moment, it feels so big and so real. But it's actually not. It's just transient. And what we do is we attach on to these emotional states. And instead of seeing them as clouds, we see them as concrete walls that we think that, you know, are so completely solid. But all through the day, you know, your emotional states are changing. One minute you feel good, you feel hopeful, you feel positive. Maybe later in the day you feel a little bit tired, a little bit frustrated. The the emotions are moving all the time. So it's important for us to learn, which is also what we do through meditation, is that these emotions come and go. They're passing. And if we just allow them to be, they will go. You know, you think about a situation where something happens. Like I'll give a silly example. Let's say I'm driving up the road and I'm at a roundabout and some guy in a, I don't know, Land Rover cuts me off. Okay. And in that moment, I get a fright. I might feel angry. I might feel freaked out. I might think, gosh, that was so close. And then 90 seconds later, that emotion will be settled, all right? Unless I do the one thing that most of us do. So this 90-second life of uh, this emotion is something you can read about in Jill Bolt Taylor's work. Jill Bolt Taylor has a wonderful TED Talk called uh, A Stroke of Insight. And she's a neuroscientist. And she said that emotions have a, a shelf life of 90 seconds. Okay, so I have this experience 90 seconds later, that emotion would be settled back down and dissolved if I didn't pick up the phone, call my partner. You would not believe what just happened to me. And as I'm running that experience through in my mind, telling my partner what's just happened, my body and my mind don't know because my mind's always creating stories up in its head, don't know that this isn't actually happening again. And all the stress and anxiety fills my body in the same place it did when I first had the experience. Then I arrive at work. Oh, man, you wouldn't believe my morning. This guy cut me off at the roundabout, right? And so this is what we do. We have experiences that happen, and then we end up reliving them over and over and over again, making them more and more solid. One of the most powerful practices that you can do is when things happen in your life, just let them go. Mm-hmm. Somebody does something. What does it feel like not to tell everybody about what happened? Hmm. Somebody upset you this morning, just let it be and allow that emotion to have its 90 seconds of breathing room and then just let it go. Okay, it's gone. But we don't. We, 
we really focus on building things up so much bigger than they deserve to be built up. That is a wonderful tip too. I mean, so, so many good um, insights into happiness on today's podcast. Thank you so much, Monique. Such my pleasure. So tell us where we can learn more about your, your work. Yeah, just come to my website, moniqueroads.com. I do a daily podcast called In Your Right Mind where I'm, yeah, I, I started it at the beginning of the pandemic and it's gone on and on. So uh, I love it. You know, people ask questions uh, or whatever's happening at the time. And I just give a short podcast every day with some reflections. That's a great place. If you want to start a meditation practice, you can come and try the 10 minute mind for 10 days for free. You know, come and try it, see how you find it. It's yeah, it's powerful. And I'm, I'm always super involved. So if you're struggling with any part of it, you can just write to my team and they'll pass it on to me and I'll personally get back in touch with you. Well, that's, I am going to try it. Um, that's going to be one of my to do's this summer is to try your course. Um, so, well, thank you so much for taking the time to come in and chat with us today. Thanks for having me, Amy. And thank you to everyone who is listening. I look forward to being with you again very soon. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.